going on everybody episode 12 now of connected by scenes podcast your favorite trio back once again garrett smith danny espinoza i'm seth smith here we are another week another good episode on tap as we caught up with former mlb player and current uh washington nationals color commentator fp santangelo uh very fortunate uh danny was able to set that up take advantage of a of a major connection there and and him allowing the time he did uh to chat with him um uh, again it was game day for him so hours before first pitch he took the time to join us uh he talked about all sorts of things from his early playing days to uh some of the stories during the uh good times in that postseason run and uh (laughs) maybe maybe having one or two too many but having a heck of a time and and sharing stories like that and uh, it was awesome. Um, it was short and sweet and, and super, super happy we got to do it um, and, and can't wait to share it with you guys. But uh, before that, let's get into the uh, ever important segment here, navigate our way uh, through our highs and lows uh, in our past week. Uh, we try and keep up pretty decent uh, in our group chat and stuff, but it's always fun to you know hear the ins and outs. Uh, during this segment of kind of just how your week was and if anything small might have stuck out or anything but uh, I don't know who wants to start but um, go right ahead I'll jump on it I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll go um, so I got one that immediately when I saw it was like all right I'm saving this for the pod because <laughs> it was a high and a low and it has nothing to do with me but more with just the society in general and not political, don't worry. I, I see you guys. Uh, I, was, but, uh, I was hoping it was. <laughs> I was looking for my seatbelt, like, oh, buckle up. Well, oh, no, okay. It could be when it comes to, like, energy and all that good shit. But uh, so I went down to 10 last week and uh, just to have lunch with a couple friends. And in the parking structure where I parked, I saw a Tesla Model X. And it pulled up, threw its flashers on, and opened its side doors in the back half and freaking table saw, freaking full toolbox, toolkit, the whole nine, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought either high or low because it's, it's a high that, holy shit, we're at that point where it's Tesla. Those are just regular, on. yeah. Yeah. Or it's my low that get the fuck out of here. You're using a Tesla for a work truck. And it wasn't yeah, even like, at we're first not I, was ready like, for I that. even parked. I reparked and watched the dude. And he, no, he was full on work truck. I was like, oh, maybe he's just like moving or helping. Some Did he have like a blanket down no. or he just raw dogged it and oh, threw no, it on no. there and like full on freaking table or uh, is that, uh, is that a, the SUV one? Over? Yeah. Wow. What a dork. What a it made me cringe, <laughs> dude. It made me cringe dude. real bad, dude. Did you, check, did you I, check his hands if he had any calluses or anything? Or 
Oh, he probably I mean, didn't. there's no shot you're driving a Tesla he, and working. He, That's crazy. It was it was bizarre. Knucklehead. It was super bizarre. So that was I, I don't help me out. Wh- which way do you tilt that? It's no, I I thought it was that's a yeah, yeah that's yeah, a that's, that's a thumbs down. <laughs> we're going that's thumbs definitely. down for sure because definitely. we're not there. Are you kidding me? We're not there. Like no. I mean I was gonna I video more and, more and throw it on Kuka the day, but I just was I was I was almost ashamed for watching. But hopefully it, it, hopefully we'll bad. just hopefully we'll go with maybe it was like a one time thing, like his truck, his work truck was in yeah. the shop or who knows? But I, I go. That's it's just like, hope like, he's got a sick diesel that just rumbles, and he's like, shit, my car. Maybe one of it in trucks the in the trucks in the, the shop. Rush. I gotta, yeah, yeah. Benefit got, the of wife, the doubt. got the wife's car. Nonetheless, when you saw him, bad, stooge. Bad <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. All right, so, so we'll go got... with that. My low. Yeah. All right. Um, my high is ah, shit, man. It's kind of a toss up again with this one because it's this heat. I'm loving the heat because it's my backyard, my my freaking plants and my my yard. It's on point right now. Everything's blooming. It's loving the sun. However, I am not. My house. I do, I'm in Old Town Orange. I don't. I don't have AC in my house. This shit yeah. is brutal. And uh, but no, I, I love that it's hot. I do. I do love the tie. I hate that Danny's wearing a sweatshirt right now, but I, you know, <laughs> I like, I like that it's warm. I'll take the heat. I wear a yeah. sweatshirt. Yeah. Well, I was, well, you heard him. He's got deficiency stone naturals. He needs, he needs vitamin D. <laughs> That's <true. laughs> sleeves. <laughs> Big long was, sleeve guy. I was swimming with the kids, dude. And I was, you know, sleeves actually keep you cooler. It keeps the sun off your skin. So I was swimming with the kids, came inside, AC was on. I was like, man, I'm just going to put a sweatshirt on. Yeah. But um, <laughs> let me think. My highs and lows. Highs. I went back to Oh, Air. I went on a mountain bike ride. Oh, how was that? That was my high. That's let me cool. throw back there. there yeah, go, I went man. on a ride. There and you it felt You're lucky. Amazing. Your time was almost running up there, so... <laughs> just fucking no I, I looked in my garage i was like oh shit there yeah, yeah yeah my bike yeah yeah what hell yeah that's cool wait where at was it local i uh, just santiago oaks like back irvine irvine park behind irvine park and all that it was actually a yeah. good ride um Sweet. just felt good to get out yeah, yeah. hell yeah Let's see my high i got friday I went on a no e-bike no e-bike Ooh, um, big boy. wow 27 miles Oh shoot! In like twenty four hundred feet of elevation. <laughs> Most of it was street, though. It was all almost all street. It was more just for the endurance to. I think I saw train. it on your Insta. Oh yeah, yeah. It's more just endurance. Just where I'm trying to get on uh, to longer rides so I can go into the mountains and really do twenty seven thirty miles and not have an issue. Um, so that was my one of my highs. Mother high went back to Arizona, saw a house at. Um, Looks like the chance to buy. Yeah, uh, trying, to get, right. trying to get rid of some of the properties here and get get a property over there. And uh, I would say that's my high. I would say the low is that um, the drive. That, that I mean, the, I know it's only six hours, but God, man, you know, yeah, six can... hours with traffic on the way back is miserable. I like to drive from like midnight to six in the morning. There's no one on the road. The yep. eighteen wheelers are cruising. They just stay on the right lane. Everyone else going to the left. There's no, there's, you know, you don't have a lane of thirty cars in a row. You got to get past. <laughs> like you just cruise by it. 
But man, you, you take off at eight o'clock in the morning, you got all those idiots, you know, doing a hundred, oh. cutting it out of the trucks and shit. And I'm like, that's just for the bird. You're gonna kill somebody. It's like Mario yeah. Kart. Yeah, it is. You're a hundred percent right. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's um awesome. my high, obviously, if you have the pleasure of watching this episode, this mic, uh, is probably my highlight, dude. I'm stoked. <laughs> this new mic, like I felt like a freaking podcaster before, but I like, I'm like in now, you know, like I feel like stepped it up. Yeah, dude. Like it's legit now. No messing around. Um, you but and the Danny thing's pretty can get sweet. in the studio. Yeah, no, we both gold. Um, when we got these, my buddy Kyber actually shout out Kyber, huge part of this. Uh, but showing us uh, these mics, I looked them up and next thing you know, they were perfect and i don't know what it sounds like yet <laughs> we'll find out when we're done but hopefully it sounds all right uh that's that probably good. my high for sure um always fun i'm i'm into this kind of shit so i like having this um my lows man probably is that i didn't have like i don't know if i have any lows i didn't have anything too bad happen say you work too many hours well yeah that's always the case um <laughs> But no, it was it wasn't too bad. It was uh, all in all pretty pretty solid week, just day by day. That's that's about it, man. Just uh, if you see, I'm trying. I'm like trying to think of ideas. For the I was podcast. just gonna I was just gonna point it out. Can't so, see it because the the camera. But um, on my your TV, shoulders are so big. Yeah, well, I what's not meant to mention what I've been lifting up and putting down these days. Jeez. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I was like, dude, how do like, how can we keep promoting this? So I put it in the back, but it obviously did not work. You can't see anything. We need to, all. we need to work that out a little bit better. Yeah. Well, the lighting changed. It's got darker. Yeah. There it is. The W flag still looks great. Um, but no, that <laughs> that's about it. Um, playoffs are here for some, some sports that we'll use that as a nice little segue. Um, following that that little segment there of the uh, highs and lows, but NBA postseason starting today, um, us three. Uh, are the Seattle, are the Seattle Sonics basketball. There? Seattle SuperSonics are there. Gary the Glove, uh, Gary the Glove has led them back. Um, they're relevant, baby. Um, but no, they're like who they turned into. OKC surprisingly is in there. Um, but we are, I mean, I enjoy sports. I cover sports, this, that NBA is kind of that one where I don't necessarily have like a favorite team. If the, if the I mean, I would put that on the Lakers. Um, but if the Lakers lost in this first round, like I, I'm probably not losing sleep over it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not too worried about it. Like they're fun to watch when they're good, but I'm not like too sad when they're bad. So that's how I know I'm not really too invested and i think you guys can kind of say yeah. that too that's kind of how um, i am for like the whole league but yeah. <laughs> so that's why i think it'll be fun like we don't really know shit especially since the bubble like i can't I watch get college ESPN basketball. to stay on my freaking smart tv um so it's it's just been like hit or miss of watching games so we're just kind of going into this i think it'd be a fun idea yeah um i think I'll, it'd be pretty i'll put cool. it this way my basketball interest peaks at march madness and that's only if i have a bracket yeah and that's about it 
Yeah, that's I'm the only with, time I yeah. watch well, is Mark Here we go. Our I'm own, with you. College basketball, I'm with you. We're doing our own bracket then. Um, we got it here. FP, Big, Expo, and Nationals guys. So in that honor, we'll use the Harrisburg Senator hat. Double um, A team for the Nationals. All right. So you two will pick closest number one through ten of the number I am again. thinking. Easy. Let me finish. Of the number I am thinking between 1 through 10, whoever is the closest to that number between 1 through 10 has the first overall pick in this year's 2020 NBA bubble postseason team draft thing. Eight. Four. Wow. It was four on the money. So, G, you go first. G money. Let me get a uh, good shuffle here and then just reach on in there. (laughs) <laughs> good good that was good you have oh you have the clippers All right. wow clip show that's a good that's a good pick that's uh, from what they tell me from what people tell me that's a pretty good pick uh danny reach on in there <laughs> and you have seattle supersonics the pacers uh who's on the team well you know <laughs> We're going to figure Reggie out the logistics Miller. soon. Or <laughs> <laughs> Jackson. And it's only pace I know. My first pick, the Rockets. All right. Oh, so, a bunch of babies. Yeah, me. Yeah. I know that. All right. Yeah, and we talked team, about, so. should we do a second one? Second team? Yeah. Yes, All right, G. Absolutely. G, you're up again, and your pick is? You get in there? Did you get a yeah. good one? I, I got it. Yeah. 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 You have the Trailblazers. All right. Where are wow. they from? Portland. Stay Portland. weird. Portland. Yeah. Stay yeah, weird. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Stay right. Danny, your second team. <laughs> Stay weird. Let's go. You have the Nets. Brooklyn Nets. Okay. No They're KD. in the playoffs? No, KD. That's all right. Here we go. Seth's final pick of the draft, Mr. Relevant, is? Probably the Lakers. Yep. The Nugs. The Nuggets. Oh, shit. Perfect. Perfect. Fitting. All right. (laughs) Well, bam. That does it. (laughs) Gee, you have the Portland Trailblazers and the Clippers. Danny, you have the Pacers and the Nets. Seth has the Rockets and the Nuggets. So, throughout this, we will determine um, what the the winner. The well, we have settled that the winner will determine what the other two people have to do. Whether that's looking like a fool. I tell you right now, if I win this thing, <laughs> we got Borat two. Suit. We got two Borat bathing suits going on. I like it. Hey, you're the winner. I like you, it. You get to you get to but decide. But that's only if you win. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying. If I win, that's what's going on. So is that? We'll, right. we'll leave it at that. The winner will just just decide. Yeah, the winner, we'll the winner that decides. out. It's not a yeah. set thing. All right. Right. All right. Hell yeah. Uh, and cool. just to clarify the rules here, it's whoever goes furthest. Yes, single team. You're not both teams have to advance. So like whatever, right, 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 right. whatever team wins and it keeps advancing and say 
And let's say they get knocked out in the same round, not against each other, but they get knocked out in the same round. Does that, how many games the one goes? Yes. Like if, if one swept and the other one goes seven, then the seven moves on. And if, if we need a third thing, like, I don't know, we'll figure that shit out. Um, but hey, it'll be fun. We'll, it'll give us something to pay attention to. And I don't know much about it. So I'm down. It'll be fun. Follow along with us. Um, I'm sure we'll put up some good content on social media. Um, shout out, follow us on Instagram, Twitter. Um, we're all over the place. It should be a good time. Um, but again, that started today. Um, and so we'll, we'll be right up on that from the beginning, which uh, should be fun. So, all right. Well, let's go, let's um, go Ducks. Let's go Ducks. <laughs> sports. <laughs> we love sports. Um, but that's it. That's it for the uh, first part here. All right. Um, without further ado, let's, uh, we'll send it to FP Santangelo. Great interview. Great sit down uh, with the current um, color commentator for the Washington Nationals and, and a little bit of everything included in the conversation. So we'll send it to the interview now. Hello, hello. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Connected by Seams podcast, one that I'm fired up for as we welcome former Major League Baseball player and current color commentator for the 2019 World Series champion, Washington Nationals, FP Santangelo. FP, this is so cool, man. Thanks for joining us. How are we doing? I'm doing great. This is really cool. It's just like all coming full circle for me. I'm getting interviewed by Danny Espinosa, one of my favorite names <laughs> of all time. <laughs> How about that? The roles first. Cool. That was pretty cool, man. Yeah, it was actually yeah. talking about that when uh, trying to find videos and just doing research stuff on YouTube. I actually stumbled across uh, an interview with you too. It was there was a lot of cool stuff on there. So um, pretty neat, like you said, to let it come full circle like this. It is cool in the sense that um, I don't think this is my tenth year in DC doing this. So I don't think there's any player that I've ever stood up for more that I've gotten crushed more for on the internet than Danny. Because <laughs> yeah, when he was struggling, when he was struggling, <laughs> when he was struggling, I would I would do my best to cover for him all the time. Hundred percent. People, people would always just crush me, saying, "Wait, what are you doing? He's striking out every time." I'm like, "Hey." A, I remember how hard it was, and B, I know how hard he works at it every day, and I know he's trying his ass off right now. So, um, yeah, one of my favorite all-time players, Danny. I, I, I talked to you yesterday. I know you're doing well. You have a wonderful family, and we miss you here in D.C. I appreciate it, man. I know you always stood up for me, and um, there are definitely probably some hard days to stand up for me when I was sitting there swinging and missing and swinging at shit that was 54 feet in front of the plate. But um, I know you. I know you always had my back, and uh, I appreciate that. You know, it goes back to uh, previous one we had about commentators having players back and understanding what it's like. And so I know you always did, and I know that you came from the player's side and understood how hard this game was. I still do. I try. I mess up every now and then. Hey, do you guys really think this is Danny Espinosa? Are we sure about that right now? Is, is this an imposter with that beard? I don't is think anyone really can. Re- I don't think anyone can replicate that thing. There's that thing's not coming off. That's a one of a kind. That's a one of a kind piece right there. Strong beard game. Strong. <laughs> kind of just about you, um, FP. I know you guys game day today in New York. Uh, not sure when this will be released, uh, but taking on the Mets a little later today. So even cooler that you would hop on and take the time um, for you. You were born in Michigan, moved to Sacramento when. Uh, you're eight years old, uh, went to Valley High School, went to Sac City College, and then eventually transferring to 
play for legendary two-time national champion uh, head coach Ron Frazier at the University of Miami. What kind of took you to Coral Gables, Florida, and, and to become a Hurricane? Uh, a guy named Jeff Kent. I went to Cal Berkeley my freshman year I've heard um, of him. and didn't didn't play my whole freshman season. And I came back and thought I'd be the starting shortstop my sophomore year, but um, Cal recruited a shortstop named Jeff Kent, and he took my job. Um, so I wasn't playing in the beginning of my sophomore year, so uh, I gave my scholarship back, went back to Sac City at junior college, um, played there, and got recruited by everybody all of a sudden. So I chose University of Miami because I was ready to get far away from home. And I really wanted to play in Omaha. I used to watch the College World Series on ESPN every year. And I thought that going to Miami would be my best chance to play in Omaha. So um, got a scholarship there, went across the country and had the best year ever. Um, but was as a redshirt junior, it was time to sign. I think I was 22, 23 years old at the time. So it was time as a 20th round draft pick it signed for a thousand dollars it was time to go take my chance and take my shot so it was cool looking back at it uh, i made a bunch of lifelong friends their current coach gino damari uh, was my roommate there at miami on the road in college and has been one of my best friends over the years so i've stayed real close to the program because of him and went down there this year before covid closed down everything and they had a really good chance of being in omaha and winning a national championship so i feel bad for those guys but it was an incredible journey for me to, to play there and be a part of the program. Wow, that's so rad. Yeah, I, um, looking at all that, I think you were one of 55 guys uh, to make it to the big league, to play in a big league game uh, that's come through Miami. So pretty storied program. program. Yeah, to yeah, say that. It's a hell of a program. Yeah. Hell of a program. I mean, you should look at all the guys that have come out of there and be, to be able to go to that program. The appearances have, in the tournament. success yeah. there. Yeah. Awesome. I don't think. I, mean, I think the dirt bags are up there too. To be honest, with a bunch of big diggers as well, and some really good ones, if, if I'm not mistaken. We have some. We definitely have some good ones, but I don't know if we have the amount or the history. Like, we have some. We have some really good big leaguers, but the the history that Miami carries in college baseball, with the amount of appearances they have and the guys that have come out of there, is is pretty phenomenal. I know. Long Beach didn't really do much until late 80s, early 90s. You know, Miami, they've been – I feel like they've been a powerhouse since – Long time. Since they came to America. I don't know. But they've been, they've, yeah. they've been a powerhouse forever. You got the second coming of Babe Ruth on and off the field and Jason Giambi. So, um, one of my favorite teammates ever. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a legend. Yeah. Legend. <laughs> well, I guess uh, being a Halo fan and and being from this area, just another reason not to like Jeff Kent uh, taking you away from Cal. But <laughs> hey, it opened up. It opened up. It opened I'm up. Not gonna a, say <laughs> it opened up a ton of things for you. I know. I mean, you got your broadcasting uh, journalism degree from Miami. So has broadcasting kind of always been a thing, even while going through school and playing baseball? Has that always kind of been an interest for you? Yeah, I mean, when you think about growing up, and you guys can relate to this with, you know, Vin Scully in Southern California, you have voices of your summer. So, you know, I grew up in Michigan until I was six or seven, and then we moved to California, but I can distinctly remember, remember my dad and I, you know, sitting in the house on a summer night listening to Ernie Harwell, legendary voice for the Tigers, um, and then Hank Greenwald for the Giants, and Dwayne Kuyper and Mike Kruko now, who I think are some of the best, with John Miller. So... So throughout my life, the voice um, of the summer 
and the voice of all these ball clubs has been a huge influence on me as a baseball fan growing up. So I thought, well, to be fully honest, I thought it would be an easy major in college. <laughs> but, I, I, but I also thought, you know, if, if baseball didn't work out, because you never know in college, there would be a cool career to have to be around the game if I didn't make it to the big leagues. Um, so, you know, I was a journalism major, broadcast journalism major in college, and a lot of the stuff that I learned at Miami, believe it or not, those were the only classes I went to, to be honest. I mean, I blew a lot of classes off because of baseball, but the ones in front of the camera, the TV classes, some of the things I learned there have helped me out in my current career. Oh, boy, can I relate to that. That is, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I hear you on that, man. But it's so fun. It's so cool. I just, I wasn't sure. You being an ex-player, you see it so much, that transition to, to the booth that I wasn't sure if it was just you developed over time, but you actually, you know, kind of got to see what it was like beforehand, and I find that pretty cool. You know what's cool is, is Mike Kruko and Dwayne Kuyper, when I did the pre- and post-game show for the Giants, um, a, a lot of ex-athletes kind of want to be broadcasters, but they also don't know what it takes or want to put in the work. So when they saw I was really serious about it and all in and that I was doing my research and, and, and studying up and trying to get better every day, they took me under their wing and they showed me what it means to be a major league broadcaster, that you have to work hard at it. And I think most importantly, you have to respect the position that I have one of 30 jobs in America and I'm the voice of a region that explains baseball to millions of people every single night. Well, some of the things I say might get eye rolls in the clubhouse. I'm still trying, you know, the vast majority of the people that are listening are fans and they didn't have baseball in this region for, for a long, long time. So I do a lot of like general ed teaching of baseball in my broadcast. I was a coach in the minor leagues with the Giants for a couple of years, a hitting coach, and I wanted to be a major league manager when I retired. Um, but then I did the whole minor league thing again. I said, this sucks. Like I was getting paid $30,000 a year. I was making no money. I was staying in Motel 6s in Bakersfield, California. No offense to Bakersfield. Oh, but uh, that, that, that ballpark. <laughs> Nothing taken. Up. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to, to put my college degree to work, and I started doing sports talk radio. Um, but, but I think the main thing is, and my point here is, is I cherish my job. I, I realize the importance of it. And I don't just go flip the switch every day. Danny can tell you, I would talk to him every day and try to get information um, for the broadcast. And I think the guys knew as a former player, even if they told me things I couldn't repeat upstairs, I didn't. So I gained their trust. Like Danny could tell me his hamstrings barking or something, and I wouldn't go up there and say it. But then that would give me a reason to cover him if maybe he didn't go first or third on a ball. So I think over the years, the guys have realized they can trust me and tell me things that won't be repeated. And if there's something really good, and I've done this with you, Danny, before, I'm like, hey, can I use that on TV tonight? You're like, yeah, bro, go yes. ahead. So you gain that trust with the players, and you take your job seriously. And I think, you know, the work ethic that I had as a very average player to make it to the major leagues has kind of carried over to my broadcasting career that I don't take it for granted every day. And like Danny, he's still playing, but whatever he does in the future, because of his work ethic, that'll carry over to whatever he decides to be after baseball. Well, I like how you talk about the relationship that you create between, you know, like when I was there, you create between the, the guys in the clubhouse and yourself because, you know, as a player, as you know, FP, being on both sides now is that you're kind of brought up, you know, as you're coming young is you don't really trust the media because they're looking for something to put someone, you know, throw someone on the table. Looking yeah. for storylines. So 
when you have a former player in FP and, you know, when you say something's off record or you say you're just talking about the game or, hey, what were you looking for? Or, what, you're just talking about whatever. You know, you have trust in FP that, that he's not going to go out and repeat something to make you, the organization, your family, somebody look bad. So, you know, he would ask, you know, do you mind if I use that on air? It's like, yeah, that one's, you know, that one's fine. But, you know, you could have a conversation with FP and, you know, it could be, be just between you guys. I think they also knew that off the field, too, if they saw me in a bar or something, that they didn't have to worry about me saying, oh, I saw Danny at a bar last night or Jason Worth out or Michael. I, they, they knew they could trust me on the field, off the field. And I, I, that, I mean, Danny, when you were there, it's not, it's not like that anymore. I think the players do their own thing, and it's not as communicative. That, that was a close part. 2012. It's my, you know, even though we won the World Series last year, that was an amazing group of guys. You don't get that far without being a together group. But 2012 right. was also organic. You guys weren't supposed to win. You started winning. Your bullpen was a cast of characters with Burnett and and, uh, and Clifford and Storm and Ryan yep. Matthews and you and Jason Worth and Adam LaRoche. And, and, and everybody involved in that ball club will always be special to me because that's the first time the Nats won. And it was just yeah. all so new and surprising to everyone. And when you guys went out at night to have beers at the hotel bar or wherever, it was a close group. And you guys were a close unit. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Yeah, I mean, that was something that, like, you know, we, we would go out to dinner as a, as a big group. You know, it wasn't one or two of us. We, we went out as, and had dinner after a game or we'd get into town and we'd have dinner as a group. Um, you know, just because we were that close. I mean, you had – 15, 20 guys going to dinner together, which is how a team's supposed to be. And now I don't know if the big leagues is like that anymore, but I think, and I'm sure you can attest to this, FP, is that was part of the fun of being in the big leagues was having that camaraderie and going to dinner with your buddies. Like that was the great part of being part of the great part of being in the big leagues. Yeah, well, it's not like that this year for sure, but no. hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully next year we'll get back to normal. Knock on wood. We'll see what happens. Yeah. It's so rad just listening to you talk about that. And, and this just, I mean, fires me up to uh, listen to you and, and the passion and, and you just talking about getting to know the players um, with, with my career and what I'm wanting to do. I just, I'm in awe. That's so cool for you to get to do that. You know, obviously right now uh, things are a little bit different, but it's cool to hear that you don't take it for granted and you show up every day and, and it is a grind and you got to put in the work and you're, like you said, one of 30 guys uh, that get to do that. And that's something special and, and hats off to you for accomplishing that um, coming from the player background. You know what I mean? we we'll go a little bit back to you. Uh, you got your, your chance and opportunity. You talk about the hard work and, and the, the determination Danny and effort he put in, but how about you? You put seven years of time in the minor leagues before getting that chance to to reach the bigs. Um, you make your debut against the Marlins, um, hit eighth at Olympic Stadium. Man, talk about that uh, and, and just kind of walk us through that day. I know there's uh, some some funny kind of stories that, that go along with it. Well, crazy that August 2nd was the day, and that was 25 years ago. Damn it. I have ago. a note oh, of that. Shit. I have a note oh, of that. Wow. So it, it, goes, it goes fast. It goes fast, Danny. That beard's going to be great before you know it. Um, <laughs> it is. It's salty. <laughs> but but uh, you know, I was never a prospect like Danny. I, I signed for a thousand dollars. You know, and, and and I was a shortstop my whole life. 
And in double A, they made me a utility player. I started playing second and third. And then Felipe Alou said, can you play the outfield? And I started playing center field and right field and left field. And I made myself more valuable. But you guys, you know, I was a 20th round draft pick that signed for $1,000. So that was a salmon swimming upstream my whole career. And, and I had to prove myself and stand out um, at every level to make it to the next level. Um, and then I got to AAA, and as you guys know, the Expos had a bunch of young talent, so I was stuck in AAA for four years. I was actually the MVP of my team one year. I was hitting 270, scoring close to 100 runs every year, playing great defense at every position. That's what I was known for, catching the baseball. Um, but there was nowhere to go. So finally one day, I was the, you know, keep your head down, work hard, don't say anything to anyone. Our minor league director, Bill Guyvet, who I'm sure – you guys know he's a Southern California guy, um, uh, was our minor league director. And I, I just got a wild hair and I said, hey, can I talk to you for a second? I pulled him aside and I said, hey, I've done everything you guys can ask in the minor leagues. You know I've never said anything to you, but my manager, Pete McCannon, thinks uh, I could be one of the best utility players in the big leagues. And I need a chance. I, I deserve a chance. I deserve a chance, you know, if I fail, you guys can all go have a beer and say, I told you Santangelo couldn't play in the big leagues. But I deserve a chance, damn it. I'm playing my ass off down here. I play hard every day. I find a way to win, blah, blah, blah. And he and guy back goes, well, you're hitting 240 and this and that. I was hitting 240 at the time. Like, the balls <laughs> to go up to your minor league director and say you need a chance to big leagues. Hey, confidence, baby. Yeah. Confidence. Two days later, I got called up. And – uh Bill Guyvet said to me, he goes, make sure you're early. I'm going on a limb. When they called me in the office, they played some games on me and told me that I, they said, you know, you got to stop breaking <laughs> chairs in the tunnel and you got to stop breaking lights in the tunnel. <laughs> this is getting old after every at-bat. We can't find you anymore because you're not making any money, so we're going to make you sign autographs before the game <laughs> I said, don't treat me like an effing kid. Like, I'm 27 years old. Like, don't treat me like a kid. He goes, but you're going to sign autographs before the game in Montreal tomorrow. And I'm like, wait, oh. Wow. And I started crying, and Pete McKenna goes, you go to the big leagues, go to the big leagues. That's awesome. And Pete's so awesome. What a, what a great guy to have, like, to be there with, he's right? The he's the best. Yeah. He's one of my best friends on the planet. We still text about once a week. Um, so Bill Guyvet said, get there early. So I got there at 1230 for a 730 game, and the <laughs> locker room was actually closed. So I get to the clubhouse. The door's locked. I have to call security. They send down Bill Stoneman, who was our GM at the time. I tell this story in speaking engagements all the time. And he says, congratulations, FP. This is such a great story. He goes, but don't you think you're a little early? It's a 730 game. And I said, man, I've been waiting my whole life for this. There's no such thing as early. So they open the clubhouse. And then I don't know how they knew my number, but I was number seven, was hanging in my locker. And I was the only guy, 1230 for a 730 game. It's not like it is today where the guys actually do get there that early. Back in the day, they didn't. Because the clubhouses weren't as nice as they are today. Yeah. Um, so I got there, and, and Felipe walks in like an hour later. Felipe Alou, my manager, shakes my hand, says congratulations, and he went and put my name in the eighth spot. So I played that night, got a couple of base hits, um, and stayed for seven years. Uh, and, and, and I always – he went and put – the story goes that he put my name in the lineup card because he said he's more ready than any guy I have right now getting here at 1230 for a 7.30 game. So my Damn. poor kids had to pay the price for that their whole lives, man. We were the, the <laughs> car in the parking lot at soccer games when there was nobody else there. My son was the first kid to every baseball game when nobody else was there. I'm like, you be early. It looks good, man. you got to be the first one there every time. And they hated me for that. But it worked in my life, so I tried to get them to do the same thing. 
Uh, that's awesome. I actually never heard that story. That's a that's a bitch of a story. And to have Felipe, thanks, Luke, man. Hey, you're in the lineup because you're more. You know, you're here early. You're prepared, man. It's, it just goes to everything that like I grew up on the same thing. Like you get there early, you work hard, you do your shit the right way, and obviously you did it for a long time in the minors, and then you show up your first day. And that literally, it's the reason he puts you in the damn lineup. And I got two knocks, and I never went back. And when I signed my contract, in the I'll never forget this. It was in the back room where they keep the bats. With the GM, my first big league contract. Danny, you'll appreciate this because you just said the same damn thing. He said, sign right. He goes, sign right here. This is what you're going to make in AAA when you go back. And I looked him in the eye and said, I ain't going back. I said, I'm not going back. Fuck yeah. <laughs> he goes, for some yeah. reason, I believe you, FP, and I never went back. Well, that is so at the cool. very end, oh. when I was hanging on like player coach in Sacramento, but I stayed up there for seven years. That's oh. awesome. That's awesome. You, you seem like the guy that will have the answer to this question, but we've had a couple other big leaguers on. Brandon Laird, a familiar name for you, Aaron Barrett. Um, we've asked them a couple of firsts. Do you remember your first big league hit? And who it was? No, pa- pa- Pedro Alvarez did not yeah, remember. Pedro, think, and right? Pedro Alvarez did Pedro not remember. remember. Who was your first hit against? It was against Chris Hammond, little soft tossing lefty. Yeah, um, I knew you would know. And I was hitting eighth. I was hitting eighth, and there was a double in front of me, a leadoff double. And you're hitting eighth in the National League, and the pitcher's on deck. Um, and I'm like, do I move him here? I'm hitting right-handed against a left-hander. And I'm like, do I move him here? And uh, I kind of looked at Jerry Manuel as my third base coach. He called me down. He said, hey, just, just try to drive him in the other way. So I got to change up away, hit it down the right field line, triple, stand-up triple, first big league knock. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Making so Felipe over, look good. And then I got to hit left-handed later in the game. And I, I don't even think Danny knows this, Deb. There's only like six or seven big leaguers in the history of baseball that have gotten hit from both sides of the plate in their major league debut. And Mickey Mantle is one of them. So I, Oof, I thought that was good. You made the list with Mickey. That's big, all right. That's, when, when that's you're, my favorite when player. You're, and you're wearing number seven. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. When you're in yeah, the same damn. conversation as Mickey, you're doing something right. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's like blasphemous for me to be in any sense. <laughs> Pause the conversation there after learning so much about our guest, F.P. Santangelo, in just the first little bit here. Um, even just where we paused it, joining a, a very short list of MLB players uh, to, to record a hit from both sides of the plate in their debut. He mentions names like Mickey Mantle being on that hit. Um, pretty awesome stuff. Danny, I know you guys had that prior connection. You also a switch hitter yourself. Um, maybe if you want to chime in a little bit on that and just kind of your relationship with FP. Yeah, it, it, you know, it was good to work with FP, you know, him being a player and understanding what it was like to go through the ups and downs because his career was ups and downs as a, you know, versatile utility guy. And, you know, for him to – to be able to take care of the players in that sense when they were struggling and then be able to, you know, not be like any other analyst and just bash them. Oh, why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? He had my back in a lot of situations. Um, but it, it comes from experience that comes from having gone, you know, through the game and realizing that this isn't an easy game. Um, you know, cause you know, as he, as he says, he says, this wasn't an easy game for him. It was, he was a grinder. He did everything he, you know, he could to, to get the career that he had and to have someone like that behind the players, looking out for the players, regardless of what's going on, it, it's a good feeling. You can create a relationship 
with someone like that. When you're especially when you're with him every single day of the year, you create a good relationship with him. So I really enjoyed playing with with or working with FP. Such a great guy. I've I've stayed in touch with him ever since I've left Washington. Um, but you know, I'm I'm happy to see that he's doing well. But it's like I said, he's a, he's a guy that has the players back and. Being a being a former big leaguer, that I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, and to to <clears throat> actually back that up, um, as I had mentioned to you guys, I listened to my fair share of uh, of Nats games, not just when you were playing, but continue to and and always have. And his commentary is very much like I, it, it wasn't a lie. Like I don't think that's something that he just says in interviews or talking like. It's true. You listen to any game and he backs up his team and he's got them. And that does come a lot from uh, from his experience and going through that grind. And uh, it's it's very evident in how he shares information about the game itself. And it also helps uh, clarify. And I loved that he mentioned it, but bringing sports or baseball back to, to Washington and obviously a lot of the fan bases, uh, probably not the most familiar with baseball. Um, they might know it, but they don't know the ins and outs and having somebody there to, to, uh, help explain why situations happen. And that goes also to like pride in that too. Very much so. And, And being in D.C. and obviously politics and whatnot, dude, people are ready to burn people at the stake there. And so with his kind of insight on why a situation may have happened or, you know, why a player is doing X, Y, Z, I think that helps kind of subside some things. But obviously, you know, Danny, I'm sure that you can attest to it. People don't care sometimes, but at least at least he's putting the info out there. It definitely, he puts the info out there and kind of like we said, like the fans of Washington DC are unbelievable. I, I love playing there. Uh, great support from the fans always, but they didn't have baseball for a long time. You know, um, baseball was taken away from them. And so to have FP there to be able to explain, like you said, situations, or this is why this is happening for, you know, just a casual listener that helps out a lot. You know, when you have someone that can really explain a sport or explain a situation, that gets them more in tune, more engaged with what's going on, and they have now a better idea or understanding of the game, and you end up drawing more fans because of that. And and it's, I mean, in other sports, when I was, we were talking about basketball earlier. Like, I yeah. like actually when somebody kind of explains what the hell is happening. Yeah. And I'm so I can at least enjoy the game or have a you learn you know you, yeah. you watch those games for enjoyment but if you don't know what the hell's going on how do you enjoy it you need I'm, to I'm with you maybe maybe people that know the game and obviously I know baseball pretty well but I still appreciate what he does you know so I, agree. I thought that was pretty yeah, but back to that point, that's that's what I thought was so cool of him taking advantage of being at Miami and maybe him thinking, yeah, it was going to be a possible easy major or something for him to get into. But he also had the knowledge of like, hey, if baseball doesn't work out, this would be pretty cool to get into. So he kind of was able to like get a head start and, and yeah. fast forward that process of getting comfortable, figuring out how to properly explain stuff on the air and, and kind of figure out stuff, you know, which... I, I think that's cool. There's not a lot of guys. Usually it's no. field to the booth. You know what I mean? And either yep. you have it or you don't, you know, but 
you kind of already had that you, past experience, which was pretty cool. You sense that there's a common theme with a lot of our guests where they're going into school with a backup plan. And I mean, they have their goal, but that were, they go in and a lot of our guests seem to go to broadcasting or major in broadcasting or have that in their, in their arsenal. I think that's kind of a funny theme that the cool we're, kids we're rolling with here. Yeah. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is, it is, it is a, a cool little connection you've made there. It's because, I mean, we've talked to some very impressive resume people, you know what I mean? But the fact that they had the knowledge to want to think of a plan B and, you know, some are fully invested. It doesn't mean that they're not fully invested, but they also have the awareness that maybe this doesn't work out. So, um, yeah. It is pretty cool, and, and he gets into a whole heck of a lot more uh, in the second half, so we'll send it there now. You've got your chance full season the following year in 1996, finished fourth in the Rookie of the Year voting, 152 games, seven homers, drove in 56. A pretty impressive list ahead of you, Edgar Renteria, Jason Kendall, Todd Hollingsworth went on to win it. Um, but like you said, man, you turned it into a heck of a career and, and maybe talk about that relationship with Felipe. Um, I know you still use one of his famous lines and quotes. Um, but I also was wondering, was Moises on that team as well? Yeah. One of the best teammates I ever had. One of the best hitters I ever played with, man. Just a pure hitter. Um, very aggressive at the plate. But Felipe, I always say this, he, he's one of the biggest influences in my life, not just baseball. I mean, he taught me how to be a man in the minor leagues and how to be accountable. Um, if you ever look at video or footage of Felipe playing, he played as hard as anybody. Man. He dove and ran over catchers, and, um, and he was all about being fearless. That was his main thing. He could sense if somebody was scared a mile away. He could read body language on a field like nobody I've ever seen. And he would turn to the bench and say, she's scared. Like right away, and about his own players sometimes. Like he would see a pitcher come in and throw ball one, and be like, "He's scared," and and he just knew. So it was about being fearless. Like he loved players that were fearless and played with reckless abandon. So he kind of, I was his favorite player in A ball. Um, I played two years for him in West Palm Beach, and then we became the big league manager. I got called up, and the, there goes the no hitter thing. Is because he thinks that's the first thing you have to take care of on a daily basis is getting your first hit. That there's no way you can win a game without a hit. So he would turn to the whole bench every day and say, there goes the no-hitter when we got our first hit. And we'd all kind of chuckle like, yeah, no, no shit, Skip. Like, we, yeah, we got our first hit. <laughs> but he did it every single day. And then as a tribute to him, I decided in 2012 to start saying it on air as a, a tribute to one of the greatest ah. people I know, one of my biggest influences. So I say it every night still to this look I kept it shirt on right now. I was going to say that it's taken ah, off. I've yeah. got merch for you say that. There's t-shirts. And yeah. Like, so all the, like, the, the, the Mets people, the Braves fans would be like, this guy's a jackass. He's saying there goes a no-hitter in the first <laughs> inning. But what they don't know is that that's a, it's my sneaky tribute to uh, one of the biggest influences in my life. From that's really cool. That's I heard really you say cool that so many times, and I've never known that was the actual Yeah, I didn't know that was why. history of it. That's awesome. Yeah, I say it like once or twice a year, reset it. Um, and I'll say it on the air. I said it like opening day this year, our first broadcast for those of you that don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't think, I think people just think I'm screwing around, but it's, it's a tribute <laughs> to Felipe, man. It's my little sneaky way of a, tri a, tri a tribute to a guy that's literally one of my heroes. So that's cool. really cool. I, I like cool. the, I like when you're yeah. talking about how Felipe likes, like, Hey, he would call out guys that were scared, whether it's his guys or the other, because you got to play in the era 
where if someone was scared, like say a middle infielder, like didn't like contact in the middle infield, what did everyone do? Man, hey, oh. put this guy in left field. If he doesn't like, you know, if it was like a middle infielder that people didn't like, or, you know, he didn't like being having contact, I remember guys would be like, hey, every time there's a double play, you make sure he's on his ass. Put him in left field. And then you got to play in that era, which is cool. And now you got to play for a manager who probably appreciated that. Oh, he would love you, dude. You'd be his favorite player, 100%. <laughs> he loved old school and loved guys who played hard. Back in the day, I say this, like, you could go 0 for 3 with a couple of walks, but if it was the seventh inning, first and third, one out in a tie game, and you had one of your walks, and you went into second base, and you sent somebody into left field, and that run scored, you come back to the dugout a hero, man, especially with Felipe. Like, went in hard, just crushed Craig Biggio, sent him into left field. Like, you can't do that anymore, man. You can't. So that little nuance of the game, I hate. I mean, I just – I love playing baseball, hardcore, old school, hard-nosed, dirtbag, if you will. Um, And guys still do, but it's just – it's not the same. And I don't want to sound like old and get off my lawn, but but I – I don't like the sterilization of baseball the way it's been right now. It's not conducive. It's conducive to staying healthy and not getting dirty, but, uh-huh. but I, I like getting dirty and bloody and crushing guys. I'm with you. Soon I enough, could barely gonna, even gonna, slide nowadays. Yeah, well, soon enough, yeah. you're going to have a softball base at second base. Right. You're have a base to slide into it. The yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's going to be – it's going to be – yeah. I mean, don't, I mean don't get me wrong. The talent is better than it's ever been in the history of baseball. When you look at the top players and Mookie Betts, who I think is the best player in baseball, and I'll argue anybody that says different. I mean, Trout's good, but Trout ain't throwing out somebody from the corner, the right field corner at third base. Dude, that throw was ridiculous. Insane. Mookie Betts is my favorite player. I think he's the best player in baseball. Um, so the talent, when you talk about the Anthony Rendones and the Juan Sotos and the Ronald Acuna Juniors and the Mike Trouts and – and, and Mookie, I mean, the talent is off the chart right now. But and, and maybe it's good that they stay on the field and don't get hurt. I'm just an old school throwback kind of guy. I miss that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, you've taken that mentality into the booth. Um, let's kind of dive into your connection with Washington now. Uh, began with the Nats in 2011 alongside longtime broadcaster Bob Carpenter. Um, how awesome has it been being in dc i was reading tons of things that you you just fully embraced you're all in uh uh in the dc lifestyle if you want to kind of dive into that well yeah i just wish danny could have experienced it and let me say this about the world series last year danny espinoza and everybody before what happened this year are a huge part of why the nats got to where they went so when i say on the air that this is for every guy that ever wore the uniform that's so true because it's been building blocks along the way. And it's been a lot of heartache with the 2012 and 14 and 17 and eight, whatever the years were the playoffs with the, the first round exits. Um, so for Danny, he's a huge part of why the Nats won the world series this year, even though he didn't contribute particularly in 2019, um, laying the foundation and the groundwork for what these guys accomplished. Um, he should feel proud of that. And I texted a lot of the old players after the Nats won and told me thanks because I truly yep. believe that Jason Worth changing the mindset here and the mentality and, you know, and Denard Spann and, you know, G- Tyler Clifford and Drew Storn and just to name a few and Adam LaRoche and Danny and Ian Desmond and, and the guys that were here before that turned this into a winning franchise. You just don't go from 100-something losses to a <laughs> World Series championship. There's steps along the way. So these guys, I know sh- – they probably don't because they're players and like, well, I didn't get a hit last year. Well, no, they're all part of this transformation of 
a culture in DC, a culture that quite frankly waited for the worst thing to happen all the time. And you could feel it as a player or as a broadcaster in these big games in the crowd. You just like they've had so many tough experiences with the Caps in the playoffs and, and other sports teams in this region. You could sense that they were just waiting for the worst to happen. And guess what? It did always at the worst time. And this year, the Nats finally got a break. And, and so for me, I know I'm getting long winded here to answer your question. I love being a part of D.C. I'm a California kid. And for me to be good at anything, as you guys have probably figured out in this interview, I had to be all in. So I moved here full time in 2013 so that I could feel what I'm talking about right now and be a fan here and be a part of it so that when I was on air, it was authentic. I wasn't just saying, oh, man, no, I live here now. And I know when the Caps lose how everybody feels because I'm out drinking beers with them. Like, I know when the Redskins lose how everybody feels. I'm out drink, I drink beers with them after the Nats games every night. So I hear how the fans feel. So for me to be good here, I had to be all in. I had to be fully invested. And it's just been really cool to see me and the, see the region grow and be able to grow with this region to go from, I said it at the speech in front of a million people. I said, to all the ghosts of playoff pass, for everybody that's always worried about the worst thing that's going to happen, and it has, to the ghosts of playoff pass, and everyone would see you later, my partner's home run call. So, yeah, it, it, it's super neat for me to be a part of this, to experience it as a fan. I'm just a fan now. I'm not a player. I don't even think of myself as a broadcaster. I'm just a fan up there that has a microphone every night and tries to break things down. Super lucky to have my job and super lucky to have it here in D.C. Well, well, shit, you get- man, you got me fired up over here. Like, I'm ready to turn uh, on the game tonight. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> so cool. And, and as a broadcaster, I can only imagine how much that helps in your broadcast and the authenticity of it and everything like that. Um, but so awesome. You mentioned the parade and world championship. Uh, there's so much, uh, you know, legacy being left and continuing to uh, grow there in D.C. So it's awesome. Uh, you guys have anything else before we let FP go here? Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate FP always, you know, working with you. You always took care of me, like you said. Um, to let all the players know that after you guys won the World Series last year that we had somewhat of a, um, a little bit – contributed a little bit to laying a great foundation there. But also, like you said, like to be able to live in, in Virginia like you do and be able to be a part of that community – my wife and I loved it there. Some of the greatest fans supported us so much. To live in that community, everywhere you went, they always said hi. They were always very friendly. They're always supportive. I love playing there. It was such a beautiful place. I love living there. Um, place. Hopefully, when I'm fully, you know, when I'm fully retired, I would love to go back there and see a game and just see the community and go out and have dinner. Like it's such a great place. And for you guys to win there, I always said. If you could win a World Series there, there wouldn't be a better city to win a World Series than, than Washington, D.C. I was drunk for two months, man. I, I, I'm serious. <laughs> I was. Hell yeah. Every night. Danny, you should come back and be Deserved. a Navy SEAL, dude. You'd fit in good. You just, just be a Navy <laughs> SEAL. <laughs> I think I'm too old now. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. It was amazing, Danny. It was something like I've never experienced before. I was getting on top of bars and thinking we are the champions. We stayed out when they won the National League. There's a little bar across the street that Zim's part owner and now called Saltline. The whole team was there with the DJ. We stayed till 5 in the morning. That's we were doing $150 shots of tequila by the end of the night. 
Oh, I remember, yeah. and I'll leave you guys. Because why not? This is, this is one of my most embarrassing moments as a broadcaster. It's 4.35 in the morning. We've all been drinking all night celebrating the National League Championship. I'm sitting at the bar with Ryan Zimmerman and Mike Rizzo, and we have the National League pennant trophy in front of us. I'm so hammered at this point. I start calling the National League Championship trophy the JV trophy. I'm like, enough with the JV trophy. Let's get the varsity one with all the flags on it. <laughs> After they just won the National League. Like, it's, so, it's harder to win your own league, maybe, than it is to win the World Series. And oh I'm just like, get God. this JV trophy out of here. Let's get the varsity yeah, one. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah. So the two guys, you maybe should watch what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, was the, that was the tequila talking, but it was, uh, it was quite a ride. That's awesome. So cool. G, you have anything else? Uh, if I just wanted to add, uh, to piggyback on your guys' relationship, Danny and yours, um, what is the most memorable moment and call on the field that you had of Danny while he was playing? Um, that one time when he went 0 for 15 with 14 strikeouts. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, probably happened. I, I think, I, think uh, I, I, I want to say – I don't, how many times did you go deep from both sides? That used to fire me up, and I think you did it a couple of times. Me too. Yeah, the, the series that you took care of me big time was that uh, red series where I had, like, uh, five home runs. 15 RBIs or something. That was, yeah, like, early got, July or something, right? Yeah, you took care of grand me in that series. had two grand slams, homeward from uh, each side of the plate in both games, and you took care of me really well on that. Dude, you took care of yourself, man. I didn't do anything. <laughs> when I take care of you is when you're struggling. But yeah. the one the, the one thing uh, I always call guys out on, I still will to stay if they're not playing hard, if they don't hustle. And Danny could be 0 for 10, and he'd still bust his butt down the line. You know, and so I never took care of Danny. Danny took care of himself when he was playing well. One of the best defenders, by the way, I've ever broadcast for, period. I'll put him up that. against any defender at short fucking time or second. Thank yeah, I mean, besides that, the soft hands, the footwork, <laughs> yeah. everything. He's as good as it gets. So, you know, and I saw Hardy worked at it every day. So you don't have to say thanks for taking care of you when you did well. I, I just – if a player gives me a, a little morsel to cover him, I will. But if they leave me out there floating in the wind and say they hit a line drive to center, I'm not going to name names, and they don't even leave the batter's box in the right zone. The back, like back to the dugout. I gotta say something about that. So, um, Danny was Danny was a pleasure to cover. Uh, I love watching the guy play. Even when he was struggling, I knew he was trying his ass off and working hard. So that's all that matters. I appreciate that, Epi. So cool. Right. Well, I gotta go to work. Are, are we done yet? Yeah, we're done. <laughs> yeah, no, we're done. Hey, yeah. you also. We must throw yeah. in quickly. You yeah. also yeah. homered from both sides of the plate against the Cubs, nineteen ninety-seven. So you and Danny on that list together. So awesome. Uh, but again, FP, thanks for joining, man. This was a blast. Good luck on the call tonight and uh, moving forward with this season. Oh man, hopefully the Nats get a curly W today. And they're saying last year was go one and zero every day, go one and zero today. With the way the schedule's been this year, I think their new motto should be go one and zero every week. <laughs> Nobody knows when they're playing. <laughs> yeah, that works. Careful, All it right. might be on a T-shirt. Yeah, thanks for having me on, you guys. Good. Thanks, TV. FP. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Sarah. FP. Sarah. Yeah, man. Thank you. Have Stay a good one. Thank you, FP. What a cool and fun conversation with FP. Again, so awesome of him to do this with us, um, take his time, and, and really appreciate him doing this for us. But kind of just to wrap up the interview there, through this game, Danny, I'm sure you can attest to it, you make a ton of connections. Um, one that stood out for me uh, was his connection with Felipe Alou. 
Um, you hear so many good things about the Alu legacy in general, about him and Moises and, and just that whole thing. But to really hear how much he touched FP in his career and kind of giving him that chance, um, I thought that was really cool. I'm sure that's something you can kind of relate to as you went through the grind of, of a big league baseball player, you know? Yeah, you definitely, you know, as you come into the minor leagues, you play for different managers and, you know, in Washington, I played for like five managers while I was there, but you, you, you have a relationship with certain people and his was Felipe and Felipe had his back. Felipe had had him, I think in the minor leagues is what he had said prior to him yeah. being the big league manager. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, the first day he gets there, he puts him in the lineup because he knows exactly what he's going to get from him. He knows what he's going to get from, you know, get from FP. He's going to play hard. He's going to grind. He's going to have good at-bats. He can play wherever he needs him to. He's going to just go out there and play. And, you know, that's awesome. But what I really liked was that he took a risk in his career, which I, you have to. But, you know, he said you know, after five years putting up numbers, you know, I wasn't getting an opportunity. And I went to the Thanks farm director. Shot. Yeah, he went to the farm director when the farm director was in town and said, you know, basically, what the fuck? What, what do I have to do? He said, I was hitting 240 at the time. <laughs> and, uh, he said, you know, what, what do I have to do in order to get an opportunity to, to get in the pigs? I've done everything you guys have asked. I've played well, blah, blah, blah. And the next day he gets called up. And he gets there. Lou has his back. Bam. He never goes, you know, he never sees the minor leagues again, um, which is awesome. But, you know, to hear him say, Felipe Alou put me in the lineup because he knew he was getting, you know, he is a grinder. And that's what FP likes. FP enjoys covering guys that are just hard nose, take out the second baseman, run the catcher over, have good at basket, hit by pitch. Like he enjoys that type of baseball. He enjoys the old school style of baseball, which is how I, I, I relate to that. Cause that's how it brought up. That's the college I went to. Um, when I was coming up, that's kind of what they taught. You went after the guy that when you went to slide into second base, you went in to slide to second base to put that middle infielder in left field. You know, like you weren't trying to hurt him. It was with he, purpose. But, but no, there was a purpose called, to the side. That there was, was a baseball. Purpose. You didn't you didn't allow him to make that throw to first base. Yeah. Not with hurting him, just by making sure you disrupted him. No, it was part of being the team. Right. For sure. Right. And um, you know, I love that he loves that style of baseball. You don't see it anymore, unfortunately. There, I know there's guys that still play that love to play that way, but they're not allowed to. You know, they've been handcuffed now to play their style of baseball. But uh you know, it's cool to have someone in the booth that still enjoys that, you know, enjoys those players. And doesn't shy away from it either. You know what I mean? He'll yeah. say it. He'll call guys out if, because I think he mentioned that, you know, you can do whatever you want on the field, but if you don't run to first base, I'm going to say something, you know what I mean? And yeah, that's good. You know, <laughs> the guy and I, the locker room might not like it, but a kid watching on TV needs to know that that's not how you play the game. It's not you know? acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he uh, and he talked about that. Like appearances are, you know, are everything. They tell they tell a lot about a person. And to your like, I love that he he said it, and he he puts a stamp of approval on. You know, you better run your ass off, or I'm gonna call you out so everybody knows you didn't run your ass off. Type of mentality. Right, and he'll and, have your back on everything else too. Right, no, it goes you're over twenty. And he's got your back, like you know, he's in a tough pass. You know, he's fine. This guy's a great ball player, but if you don't play hard, he'll he'll say something. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, I'll go to my biggest takeaway from the whole the whole review. Um, I loved that he uses the quote from uh, 
from his uh, Alu with the there goes the no hitter uh, type quote. And I'll tell you why, because now after I heard that, A, that came from from there and I hear, like I mentioned, heard a lot of games and uh, a lot of calls of his and he's he does use it. Uh, the other day I was on Twitter and it actually popped up. I saw somebody commented, dude, bro, you got to stop using or saying there goes the no hitter. It gets old. It's juvenile or something like that. And he freaking popped on and wrote out exactly where it came from and all that and basically shut dude up. And I was like, <laughs> like, it just made me laugh. Yeah. Like, God, people, freaking keyboard warriors. But like, keyboard warriors, that he like- uses that. Oh, they're yeah. everywhere, and and they're always going to be there. And I, I, I mean, this I is what I I really wish with the social social media. All these keyboard warriors want to pop off of all these big leaguers and professional athletes. I wish they were allowed to go back at them. Yeah, that's the problem. Right. I they do, get but they can't. They can't say a word. They'll get in trouble. They'll get fined. They'll get reprimanded. Man, I would love it because they would all shut up. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, kind of off topic, but I saw a UFC fighter. He posted something over this last weekend, and some guy made a comment to that point, like, quit being a bitch, blah, 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 this and that. You'll never do something or whatever. And the UFC guy goes, that's funny. You, you run your mouth, this and that. Would you say this to me face-to-face? And the other guy responded, was like, hell no. You kick my ass to freaking Sunday, this and that. And the guy goes, at least you're honest. Yeah, that's And true. I was just like, hey, at least the guy freaking called out and he took it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. But my biggest takeaway, to get back to FP, though, um, I didn't realize, A, I mean, his story is road to the, to the big leagues, but he never went back. He never yeah. went back down to the minors. Like, and that is actually incredible. You know, like he finally got that shot and he freaking took it and took every advantage of being in this body was. And all of that goes back to the hard work and the freaking blood, sweat and tears that he put into the game to get himself in that position. Even though he was hitting 240, the coach was like, all right, if this guy want to run his mouth, freaking throw him out there. Let's see it. Yeah. And they, I guarantee part of them was like, he won't ask this again. Let's put him on the spot. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, shit, this guy, this guy's holding his own. And that's, that's something that, you know, you have to have to make it. And yeah. totally banked on himself because he was like, hey, if, if I go up there and I suck, go have some beers and cheers to me. And you were right. You know, right. like he knew that it was like, this is going to be one, one shot. And, and even when he was signing his papers to come back, it was I ain't going back, so I don't care what the contract says. You right. know what I mean? And and that was what was cool about him, like, just kind of being all in and, and living in, D, like, that, that D.C. lifestyle and embracing that and his connection and letting us, the, like, those insights of the authenticity of, like, I know Caps fans are sad because I was drinking with them and watched them lose. You know what I mean? Like, he's really gotten to know that area, which I think is really cool. And, and like I said, it adds some authenticity to his work. And, and even just talking to him, it, you can just tell he's, he's that kind of he, guy. He's, you know? he's, he's all in. Good. He's all in. I yeah. used to live – when I was there, I lived down the road from him. Um, I, maybe, I literally like maybe two, three blocks from the road from him. Um, he loves it there. Uh, I know uh, the, the team likes him. Or when I was there, the guys liked him. Um, but he's someone that was easy to get along with. And, you know, I always, like I said, I always appreciated him, but uh, I'm glad to see that he's doing well and that he's still there and he's had a long career uh, covering the nationals. 
and he survived a two-month bender or whatever he said he was drunk for <laughs> two months like oh such a my good hero time. he told some stories that he that was what was cool it was like like i said we didn't have to talk to him for a long time but we had a good time you know what i mean like he yeah. he let us into I some, to ask some him really cool Dozer. stuff yeah no he had he had some stories that we could have probably gone on all day about himself dozier all the the whole gang um so i'm sure they they had a heck of a time during that run but the whole conversation was awesome had a good time with yep. fb um so again thank him for taking the time but uh episode 12 is now in the books fellas a reminder everyone join us next week tuesday as we said that's what we're aiming for every tuesday trying to put out a new episode for you guys episode 13 uh next week we'll have some updates throughout the week on our nba playoff teams let's not forget garrett you have the clippers and trailblazers danny the pacers and the nets and seth has the rockets and the nuggets what time is kickoff Kickoff is uh, <laughs> right around first pitch. Uh, I always forget. Um, but it's, it'll just be a fun so little game. Before or after they drop the puck? I there, don't there, is, there is a little bit on the line. Whoever's one team, single team, double team, whoever's teams go the farthest gets to pick what the other two losers have to do. Um, so I'll decide what you guys are going to have to do because uh, the Rockets and Nuggets, obviously know to step their shit up um but i'm excited episode 13 coming next week uh find us on instagram cbs under uh underscore podcast twitter at cbs pods follow subscribe rate review do it all um find us on youtube you can watch all the uh the video portion of this you can see all of our ugly mugs on there um full-length interviews everything that is on there um catch all episodes spotify soundcloud apple Podcasts everything like that but again appreciate all the support can't wait to uh, uh show you the next one um heck of a good time so another good chat um but that does it uh, for us here danny garrett i'm seth thanks everyone for listening from wherever you may have and uh catch you on the flip side peace peace